Thank you, Pastor D, for your love for our kids. Thank you so much. I don't think he's doing a glitter project, just so you know, just FYI. Pastor Darren and I are both allergic to glitter. I don't know. Julia, am I right? Okay, good. Yeah, good. Well, it's good to see you this morning. So thankful that we get to gather around the Word of God. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Galatians chapter number 3. What was just read to you was um, part of what we'll be studying this morning. Last week, we talked about ways of thinking and behaving that put us out of step with the gospel. So, so there's this picture I gave you of, and I know some of you are still envisioning me in the South Rowan High School marching band with the sousaphone, largest instrument. Only bigger instrument by weight is the bass drum, but mine was taller. Just, just put that out there, right? And for those of you therapists in the room, Napoleon Complex. I'm sure I had it in high school. Anyway, so, so there we go. I'm, I'm out there uh, marching in time and marking time, all the things. And, and our band director was allergic to somebody being out of step. I mean, he just wouldn't, it was, everything stopped if you were out of step. The whole thing, you'd stop, you'd start, reset. That's how important it was. And that's what Paul is dealt, has dealt with in chapter two with legalism, puts us out of step with the gospel, puts us out of step with Jesus. It's not just another way of looking at scripture. I want you to understand this. This is not just a, a page two, non-essential way of looking at things. Legalism, when we add things to salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, when we say, and you need to, uh-uh, that is out of step with the gospel. And that's not the way Jesus led a preach. Hypocrisy that premeditated, I know what's right, but I'm choosing to do what's wrong. I know what's right. I believe what's right. I know the truth, but my behavior is out of line with it. This is not just a, an overt sin. This is a, a premeditated, commissional act and sustained behavior. Hypocrisy puts you out of step with the gospel. And it's not just a misstep. It actually has you going a different path, backtracking at best. You're never standing still. We're, we're moving away from the life that Christ promises, a life of freedom, a life of abundance and joy, unspeakable and full of glory. No, it becomes this laborious task of you hiding or, or trying to hide something or, worse yet, trying to think that your efforts are going to earn you some kind of favor with God. I mean, Paul is really bothered by this with the Galatians because they started right. And this is one of the most emotionally charged chapters in the Bible. I've got to be honest with you. About two weeks ago, as I'm diving into the text and nuancing it, looking at it for sermon preaching, I just kept going, wow, ugh, ugh. And I kept dealing this way and that way. And I thought, man, this one's, this is, Wow. So I took a step back and, and, and read some commentators' views on it, and they said, welcome to the most difficult chapter in all of Paul's writing to preach. I was like, awesome, yay! And I was like, oh wait, I still got to do it. So here we are. Paul's upset because they hadn't just fallen into immorality or defected to paganism. No, their departure from the truth was more insidious than something so obvious. They were willingly and deliberately turning away from, watch this, grace. Like, just process that, turning away from grace. 
One of the things I love about Grace Covenant Church is that we have a level of expectation when it comes to the sermons on Sunday. This book of the Bible allows me, this chapter especially, allows me to illustrate one of the beauties of this congregation. We don't serve dessert from the pulpit all the time around here. We're not here to scratch itching ears. Sometimes when your Bible reading brings you to just the veggies and the broccoli without cheese on it, right? You recognize, wait, this, this is not as fun as this section, but this is good for me. If all we want is quick and simple, entertaining, give me a practical tip on how to live a good life and be a good mom, message from the Bible, we skip Galatians 3 and find something a little more appealing. But if we want to know God more deeply and love Him more richly and be more sensitive and attuned to His voice and His leading, then we delight in the Word wherever it takes us. Amen? I'm so thankful for that legacy here and so thankful for how the Lord has built this. If you're thinking about what we'll cover in Galatians 3, we won't cover it all this morning, but there are three major mountains. Any mountain climbers or hikers or climbers in the room? Like you, you love, you, like you think, when I want to do something fun, some of us want to eat Doritos and watch Netflix, but you're like, no, I want to go on a 40-mile hike with a 90-degree incline. Is that you? Is that your love language? I see those hands. Y'all are special. Well, I pray for you later. Um, no, 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 that's awesome, right? But you think about mountains to mountains. Your whole family did this. Y'all did a big mountain hike, aggressive hike, a uh, couple of years ago. A couple of years ago? A year ago. Last year. Still feel it, don't you? No. So um, they did a great hike. So there are three mountains we're going to climb in Galatians 3. The first mountain that we climb is Paul kind of seemingly pulling out of nowhere the Abrahamic covenant. Well, what's that about? Why would he mention that? And then right after we're like, we don't even get to catch our breath. We're like, okay, good. Then we got to climb the Mosaic covenant. Right after that, you're like, Paul, hold on a minute. And then he says, no, wait, let's go scale Everest and get to the covenant of grace. Hallelujah. So I'm going to do my best and endeavor to preach this in a way that lets us climb those mountains on Sunday morning, uh, but that we're not so worn out when we leave, we need a kind of day or two to recover, okay? The first mountain, let's put it up there, the first covenant, again, I mentioned the Abrahamic covenant. This is uh, the Holy Spirit has Paul touching this in a masterful way because these Jews of this day have been pushing for, no, 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 we've got to get back to the way things were. Paul's going to take them back and show them how it all started. The second mountain is the Mosaic Covenant. We also refer to the Mosaic Covenant as the, it rhymes with y'all, the law. Very good. Awesome. Right there. I love it. Uh, the final Mount Everest is actually Mount Calvary, the covenant of grace that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first covenant is this promise God gave Abraham. It established God's relationship among a people by faith. It actually started in faith. I'll show you that in a minute. The second covenant was not in conflict with that. So the first is my relationship with God. The second is here's how we're going to live this thing out. But it was a covenant based on the law. They complemented each other, but they were insufficient for justification that lasted. And they, it was that way by design. So then God brings Christ in as this completion or fulfillment. The new covenant, the New Testament. Got it? In Hebrews 8.13, the Bible says that this new covenant of grace that we're on makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is vanishing away. 
That's the big picture of what's going on here. This first thing I want to deal with, though, before we start climbing any mountains, because we don't have enough carabiners for all of us this morning. But before we start climbing mountains this morning, I want to look at Paul's questions that he asks. And if you'll, I told you I wasn't going to try to be cute, but I couldn't resist this little first point if you want to write it out. Let's call it cross-examination. Norm, you see what I did there? Cross-examination. He's asking questions. I'm appealing to the one attorney trying to stay in my lane there. Okay. Cross-examinations. Okay, in verses one through six, Paul hits them with a barrage of questions. They've made statements to him. They're living in such a way. And Paul goes after him. I'm going to put the text on the screen. You track along online if you want to. The notes are right there in the uh, Bible app. Or you can see where I'm getting these questions from. The first question he asks is, who has bewitched you? Now, that's a pagan term that he's using on purpose. He's using it to get their attention and to tell them that this thing, however subtle and however awesome it was, is not from God. It's actually from the devil himself. He's very careful with his word. Who has bewitched you? I'll unpack the word foolish in a minute, but that's not really the question. So the first question, who's bewitched you? Second question comes from from verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by your works? Like, was there a test that God gave and said, all right, if you'll do this, 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 and this, and then I'll grade your paper, then I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Is that how this thing works? That's question number two. Question number three, are you now trying to impress God with your works? Do you think that your works are going to make you perfect? Question four, this one's a tough one. Verse four, did you suffer in vain? They had suffered many things. When they said they were following Jesus, they suffered persecution in a Roman occupation who said, we'll have no king but Caesar. And here are all these Christians saying, no, 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 our king is Christ. Did you suffer in vain? Last question, fifth question, verse five. Does God bless you based on your keeping the law or by you trusting Christ and walking in his fullness? So I have the verses up. I've asked you the questions. The questions are in the notes, but I wanted you to see where they came from. I want to just needle at them for just a moment. With your Bibles open, follow along with me. It's an emotionally charged address that he gives. It's a big deal. If they continue down the road that they're on, they are going to, watch this, they're going to move away from Jesus. They're not going to wind up at the destination that we had hoped they had started at. John would later tell us that if they go out from us and stay away from us, they never started right. Paul's trying to say, I mean, did you start right? What's, what's happening? Are you just, here's a word we don't like, I know it's a loaded term, but are you just backsliding? Are you just jacked up for a few minutes? Because I'm here to course correct. Or are, is this the direction you're going? Because you need to know if you keep going this direction, it's not with Jesus. That's how serious this is. His verbiage, bewitched, is so strong. He's saying, who has cast a spell over you in such a way that you're now following them? Now think about that. They didn't come up to him and say, um, hey, we're going we're, we're gonna, to, um, we, we want to talk to you about circumcision. I mean, that's not probably how they led the way in. They had to sell it in a way that it made sense to them. So it would have been appealing to them. 
appealing to them. Who, who, who has, who's bewitched you? Who's cast a spell over you that you're doing it all wrong now? The word foolish that he uses there, he uses on purpose. He doesn't say they're mentally incompetent. He's saying what they're doing, watch this, is, it is online with insanity. That's the word. What you're doing doesn't compute. Mark, thanks for that. I'll get to those questions in just a few moments. As we work through the text, we see the second part of verse 1. Does that ever, did that jump out at you when he said, It was before your eyes that this Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That word, publicly portrayed, is prographo, is the word. And it's a picture of a placard that they would wear. It's funny how things haven't changed much. I mean, back in Bible days, they would, they would adorn themselves with placards in the marketplace when they had a message that was so important. You've seen it still, those sandwich board placards. We've got those A-frame signs out that show you where to park as our guest, to show you the parking line that we have. Imagine those on a person, right? You've seen them in old movies and such. But, he, but he's saying, I, Jesus Christ crucified, the sin, the cost for our sin uh, was on display before your very eyes. You, you heard it in your ears. It couldn't have been portrayed any more clearly. I was wearing the crucifixion of Jesus to you. Remember how he ended number two, chapter two? I am crucified with Christ. He's bringing them back to that. I, I mean, who could have brought it more clearly than Paul? Christ speaking through him himself. There was an announcement being made. You saw this. Paul's, Paul's bothered because why? The gospel isn't just transactional. Yes, we're moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous life. Yes, we were dead in our trespasses and sin and now are alive in Christ Jesus. Yes, we were lost and now are found. Yes, we were blind and now can see. That's the gospel. But it's not just transactional. It's relational at its core. Because somebody cared enough about you to introduce you to Jesus. And God doesn't call you to salvation just so you can be saved and then go right to heaven. He's calling you to salvation so that you might live a life that glorifies Him. It's relational. He's calling you into the family of God. Paul is tore up over this wayward flock. Their behavior looks like a departure from the gospel. He uses tore up language all throughout the rest of Galatians. He says, I, you, you were running well and now you're not in chapter 5. It looks like you, looks like you have fallen away from grace. Like you walked up to grace, you got a big old hug of grace, and then you said, no thanks, I'm good. And you fell back into a pit of despair. If they don't finish the race by grace, they can't possibly receive the prize. Do you see why Paul is upset? This stuff matters. To go to circumcision as necessary for justification is to leave Christ. Hear me, church family. To go toward hardline legalism as necessary for justification is to leave Christ. If we start adding to the gospel... We are doing violence to Scripture. And God won't put up with it. I want to restate those questions that Paul asked as statements. And then I want to just pick three to ask us for application. Because there's observation. I've given you some interpretation. And I want to do a little application here before we just touch on that Abrahamic covenant. We won't be much longer this morning. Here's, 
Here's some statements, emphatic statements from Paul. You can look back at your text in the Bible if you want to, but Paul's basically saying it was foolish of you to turn from the truth. From simple faith and trust in Christ, you had such a clear picture of it. You followed the wrong crowd. You didn't work for the Holy Spirit. He was a gift from the same God who who didn't save you because he was impressed by you, but because of his great love and grace. That's why God saved us. Don't waste your suffering. That's where this kind of thinking and behaving is taking you away from Christ. And your law keeping doesn't give you more of the spirit. This isn't transactional. You're not at the exchange counter trying to get more of the Holy Spirit. No, God pours out his spirit by his grace. Now, let me ask these questions to you this morning as a way of application. Now, that first question, who is bewitching you? Who is pulling at your heartstrings and trying to get you to believe an ideology or a worldview or a lie that's pulling you away from Christ? Because there are a million voices competing for your attention. Parents, there's a strong pull from society today that says we've got to raise our children in the West, especially in America, by this American metric of success, and they've got to achieve this, and they've got to do this, and they've got to do that, and they've got to do that, and none of that amounts to anything with your Bibles open. Who's bewitching you, moms? Saying you're not a successful mom because you're not living up to these snippets of what these Instagram moms post. By the way, they're not posting 23 hours and 55 minutes of their day. They're just posting the five minutes they had it all together. And it took them six hours to stage that for the photo, by the way. Just heads up. It's not real life. Who's bewitching you, dads? Who's bewitching you, husbands? Who's bewitching you, wives, into thinking that, that you can pull away from what the Bible says, men, for us to lay down our lives willingly for our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? Who, who's pulling you away from that? Who's pulling us away from what the Bible says for our single men and women? Don't, don't let the sirens of the age bewitch you in this over-sexualized, comfortably numb state of intoxication because it is wooing you away from Christ. And you are going to look foolish. I mean, at the end of the day, we think, oh, yeah, but if I do this, I can ride both sides of the fence. I can be cool. It's the same challenge we have as teenagers, right? It just looks differently and it's cost a lot more as adults. But the reality is you look foolish to both sides. You look foolish to those that are lost trying to pull you away because they're like, well, why are you still playing with church? And the church folks are going, well, why are you acting like that? That's hypocrisy. You see why Paul says, oh, you foolish Galatians, you've been bewitched for our young people today. Entertainment culture saturating them with anti-Christ biblical, I mean anti-biblical worldview from the word go. And on the surface we say, well, there's nothing wrong with this or that. There's nothing wrong with that. There may not be anything inherently wrong, but can I tell you something? If something is luring you away from the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something wrong with it. And you've been bewitched. And that's a pagan term on purpose. Paul is saying all this in the midst of grace. Well, that's one question I think could apply to us this morning. Next question. Will you allow God to use your suffering 
Will you allow God to use your suffering? One songwriter from a couple years ago, it's not in my notes, just popped in my head, said, if he thought it was too much, he would have never let you go through this trial. If he didn't think you could make it with him, he would have stopped you long before he walk, you walked this mile. He approved it all before it came. Suffering, we don't like this in the West. We typically have very thin and weak theology on suffering, but suffering is a promise from God. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, like the song said, you know what, how we can view it? It's a gift from God, even though a painful one, even though one you'd like the receipt on so you can take back, I get it, but it's a gift from God so that we might glorify him in a way we otherwise couldn't. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in me you have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5, that you could be considered worthy of the kingdom of God and worthy of suffering. Philippians 1, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer also. 2 Corinthians 1, the Bible says that the God of all comfort is comforting us while we're suffering so we can be a comfort to others. God uses suffering. It's not like it's hidden somewhere between Revelation and maps in the Bible. It's all throughout the New Testament. We get to go through things for the glory of God. Don't waste your suffering. When you begin to pull away from Christ, you waste all that suffering. When we keep our eyes on Christ, when we trust Him with childlike faith, when we recognize that anything good in us is a result of Him working in us, then our affliction and our adversity is redeemed for His glory, whether we see it or feel it in the moment or not. Because you've got friends that you don't know that are watching and family that you don't know that are watching that are watching you and saying, man, if I was going through that, I would have lost my mind. 2 Corinthians 4. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. And I know it doesn't feel like that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Why? Because we look at the things that are seen. We don't look at the things, rather, that are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's the final question from Paul's barrage, his cross-examinations this morning, because it takes them back to the cross. Are you living by faith, or are you living by works? The Galatians started in faith believing, but soon after that, they were led to believe that everything was much more complicated than it actually was. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, now, wait a minute. If you're just saying this kind of easy grace, easy believism, that, that's going to produce people that don't work. Well, that's not what saving faith is in the Bible. I'll get there in just a moment. Paul is clear. No prior conditions are necessary to be saved. Justification is a gift from God. We come to Christ in faith, believing, and even that's a gift from God. We're not serving in the church to impress God. We're not serving in the church to try to get God's favor. We are motivated because we love Jesus and we love people and because he first loved us. 
And saving faith produces working Christians. Proof? James 2. Look at it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 26. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This may be the highest density of physicians or physicians in training I've had in the congregation in a while. But when the flat line comes and is persistent, life is over. You don't have an expectation of life in that moment. Paul's bringing that picture to mind to say, when somebody says they're saved, but they don't do anything for God, that's not saving faith. But let me tell you something. You can't do enough for God to save you. The inverse is not true. We're not saved by works. But saving faith produces workers. Let's look at the smooth transition he makes to the final part of our passage this morning. Thank you so much for your attention as we look at Galatians 3, 5, and 6. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, let me give you a header for verses, the rest of the passage, really from verses, uh, I guess, 5 through 9, if you want to call it that. Here's the header. Faith came first. Paul is using the very argument of these Galatians and these Judaizers. He's using all of those arguments to come to him, and he's saying, look, you want a Jewish faith? Is that what you want? Is that what you're after? You, you want a Jewish expression of Christianity? You want something that's tied all the way back to, uh, to the old days? You, you want a gospel anchored in the Old Testament? You already have it. <laughs> you and all the people who come to Christ by faith are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And all that started, guess what? Before the circumcision, before the law, before the Pharisees and before the Judaizers. Now the Holy Spirit's using this. Paul is so clever in his writing here. God is speaking through him. And you're like, wait, the Abrahamic covenant? The promise to Abraham? What? Look at verses seven through nine with me. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture, the Bible, foreseeing us Gentiles by faith would be justified. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now some of you this morning, sitting in a church building in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2022, are thinking, the Abrahamic covenant? Really, Pastor Chad? I mean, on Mother's Day, the Abrahamic covenant? I mean, that's like going through an antique store with your dad and him finding some old stamp collection in the back and going, now this is very interesting, isn't it? Isn't this very interesting? I've always been interested in interesting things, right? The Abrahamic covenant, come on. I just want to remind you that, that the three biggest religions on the face of the earth today, more than three billion people tie their inception to this promise of Abraham. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. The three monotheistic religions of the world get their start in God's promise to Abraham. More than half of the world's population have a vested interest. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's in the news a lot. Now, they don't, they're not only talking about the covenant of Abraham, referencing Genesis, I doubt. But this constant tension 
and problems between that. Paul says, oh, oh, you want a faith tied to the Old Testament? You got it. Abraham started with faith. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, he believed the Lord and it was counted him as righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith, Hebrews says. What? The distinguishing factor is faith. That's about all we'll get into of that covenant this morning. I just wanted you to see that. Believe God and it will be credited to you as righteousness. That's all. That's all. But doesn't that lead to loose living? No, saving faith doesn't lead to loose living. Saving faith points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Saving faith has people walking in a different direction than culture is walking. Saving faith that's by faith alone changes us and makes us into Christ said he would make us into a new man. We become righteous before God through faith in Christ and it's expressed through radical obedience. You and I are benefiting from the promises of God to Abraham today. Not because we're trying to act Abraham's kids. Not because we're trying to do something like the Hebrews did in the Old Testament. But we are justified by faith in Christ. Jesus was Abraham's descendant, but he was the only descendant who was the perfect Lamb of God. He was the only descendant who was the sinless, spotless son of man. He was the only descendant who was the great I am, the word of God with flesh on. The answer to all of those questions that Paul posed at the beginning, the answer to all the questions is this. The gospel of salvation by grace through faith is the only way to keep in step with God. Don't try anything else. Don't let culture, don't let this teacher, that teacher, bewitch you into thinking it's more complicated than that. The only true gospel that justifies us is the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Julia comes to the instrument this morning, I just want to challenge us to be boys and girls and women and men who get in the Word so the Word can get into us. Spend time in the presence of God. Be led by the Spirit of God. Get a grasp on the Word of God. Be witnesses to the power of God as He changes lives in front of you when you see the gospel come to life. This is what living by faith looks like. The sermon title, it's a part one of two, finish by faith, finishing by faith. It's a play on that phrase in verse three that Paul used when he says, did you start this way and now you're doing that? We know that we started by faith. We want to be people who live by faith and we want to live in such a way, Christ working in us, that we finish by faith. Stay sensitive to the voices and the choices that want to pull you away from Christ. Stay sensitive to those. It's insanity for you to walk away from Jesus. Know that God will continue to use your suffering for His glory as you keep in step with the Spirit. And work, work hard, but work because you love Jesus. Work because you love others. Work because you love the gospel of salvation. You're not working to earn God's favor. God's highest expression of his favor has a name. 
Jesus. And he's freely given it to us. Let's pray together this morning. musicians are coming this morning to lead us in our final song. I want to give a mother's illustration really quickly from this week. Thank you for praying for your pastor. I wrapped up week three in Fredericksburg, Virginia this week teaching Christians on how to live out lives by faith and help make disciples who make disciples. In week two, I give a homework assignment to share a simple gospel resource, just a simple expression of the gospel with somebody who doesn't know the Lord. One mom approached me the last Thursday morning, the last day I was there, and she said, listen, my 11-year-old was dealing with anger issues, has for some time, we had a major blow up, and I began thinking after everything had calmed back down, I wonder, I wonder, I've taken a lot for granted. I've never actually sat down with him and told him about Jesus. So this precious mom, with other kids in the house, husband's away on work, sits down with her 11-year-old son, walks him through just a simple expression of a relationship with Jesus Christ that's by faith alone, in Christ alone, because of grace alone. And the son says, I'm ready, Mom. I think that's what the Lord's doing in me. Repented of his sins is kind of evidence that God was working and put his faith in the Lord Jesus. She calls the neighbor. The neighbor rejoices, wakes up her kids, tells her kids because they're very close in relationship. And the next morning, the neighbor's 12-year-old son comes to her bedroom door, walks up beside her thing and says, Mama, I need Jesus too. Tell me moms don't have an influence. Tell me moms don't make a difference. For all that you have to put up with, thank you, moms, for all that you do and for the love that you give. Let's all stand together and join in worship as we're dismissed this morning.